0: Good morning, hello, holy moly, that was loud. How are we? That's good, if you're you're no good, that's okay too, you're more than welcome. Um, Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for today, thank you for the chance to gather together, and as your word is um, read and explained, please change us for your glory, amen. Um, My name's Anthony, and we're into our series on Hebrews, and we're talking about Jesus as our um, priest today. And uh, the first part of um, Hebrews uh, 6.19 says this. uh, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, I love that. I love those words. It'd be like a... uh, It'd look good on a fridge magnet, wouldn't it? Or a calendar. Um, I'd love to memorise words like that so that when I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling overwhelmed, I can bring them immediately to mind. Not my worries, but the fact that Jesus is our anchor. For our soul is firm and secure. They're beautiful words. Um, Maybe the uh, kids could get a colouring in sheet and colour them in. Uh, Maybe they could memorise it too. Um, It's a beautiful verse. Um, And it's a good reminder for when we feel like we've been tossed around by the waves and storms of life. Unfortunately, it's not the whole verse. (laughs) And this is... The second part of verse 19 into verse 20 it says it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek is that as inspiring as the first bit <laughs> the inner sanctuary the curtain high priest Melchizedek Uh, In uh, today's series of readings, the word priest appears 26 times and Melchizedek appears nine times. And so there's a gap. There's a really big gap between the writer of Hebrews and its audience and and us. I mean, sure, there's there's the best part of 2,000 years. That's a pretty big gap. But there's also a massive gap in our daily lives and our practices, isn't there? Because things like temples and priests um, were very much part of everyday life for first century Jews and first century Jewish Christians, um, but not so much us. And We don't really come into contact with um, priests day to day, especially us Protestants. Um, so we need to do a fair bit of background work in order for this to make sense. We need to ask some questions about what a priest is, what their role is, um, but the thing is that this isn't just some sort of interesting theological exercise. This isn't just fact finding or trivial information. Um, this actually, these sorts of questions actually go to the heart of who Jesus actually is. What does it mean for Jesus to be a priest? What does it mean for Jesus to be your priest? What does it mean for us as Jesus followers for him to be our priest? Well, I guess a good place to start is to pose a question, well what is a priest? And Hebrews 5:1 provides a very helpful definition. It says this, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for our sins. And so priests are divinely appointed people who mediate between two parties, between humans and God. And the priests are a group of people who act on behalf of the people before a holy and just God. Now, is there a photo coming? I can't actually see what's... Anyway, that's okay. There should be a photo. Um, One of my favourite activities is um, working in the garden. Um, That is our garden, looking in tip-top shape. Um... Unfortunately, it looks nothing like that right now, but we can pretend. (laughs) It did at least on one day, a couple of years ago. You can see a couple of chooks there. I'm particularly proud of the uh, row of rocks, because I put them there. Um, And I'm particularly proud of the plants within that garden bed, because I also put them there. Um, And I like the tree, and I like the hills in the background. But you know the best thing about that photo? It's the lawn. I mean, just look at that lawn. And if you had seen the lawn... Now, can I have a, a show of hands? Like, give us a, an enthusiastic wave if you love your lawn. There's got to be at least... Oh, look, there's, that guy just shot his arm up so quickly. Yeah, lawns are great. They're wonderful things. Um, our lawn used to be horrendous. Now, when we first moved there, it was just... It was capeweed, absolutely covered in capeweed. And over time... I sprayed and I dug and I I sprayed and I mowed and I whippersnipped and now it looks something like that. It's magnificent. I love the lawn. And the best thing about the lawn is that it needs mowing. And the best thing about this time of year is there's just that promise of spring where I'm going to have to mow the lawn, have to mow the lawn, (laughs) probably twice a week. And when I'm on the ride on, it's just me and the mower and all the worries of life just evaporate. No one's distracting me no one's annoying me, and sometimes, sometimes I accidentally, and Kerry's there and she's not going to listen to this bit, sometimes I accidentally set the blades too high and I I finish and I go, oh, oh my, I'm going to have to mow it again. (laughs) What a terrible, terrible thing. But there is a problem, there is a problem, and that is that I know nothing about engines and I know nothing about how mowers actually work. I'm good at sitting on the mower, I'm good at starting it, I'm good at spinning it around and cutting the grass, but I don't actually know how it works. So when a belt breaks or when the engine doesn't do its thing, I need to take my mower to a particular place, a temple of sorts, a temple of sorts, where the mower will get repaired. Um, And actually, when we think about priests, and they seem so foreign to us, um, if you stop and think, we're actually quite used to the idea of a go-between. I need a go-between. There's a big gap between me and my knowledge of mowers and how they work. So I need to go to the workshop, to this temple of sorts, a sacred place, a place set apart for a particular purpose, the repair of mowers. And these temples do have priests of sorts. Their sole purpose, these people, is to do this exact job. They repair mowers. I need a go-between... For me, when my mower is broken. And so as unfamiliar as we are with priests, we're very familiar with this idea of a go-between. Unique people, uniquely trained for a particular task. And so that's what a priest is. A go-between between between us and God. And the idea of priesthood is actually core to the overall storyline of the Bible. It highlights a very important and key idea and an uncomfortable truth. And that is that something is desperately wrong with us. Something is broken in each and every one of us. The engine is broken, so to speak. We're morally broken and in desperate need of fixing. And so here's one of the takeaways from today's passage. We are broken. We are morally compromised and we live in a broken world. Now, I mentioned my wife, Kerry, before. She hates watching the news. She doesn't like watching the news because it's too full of sad stories, suffering, terrible stories. It it impacts her and it causes her to struggle to fall asleep sometimes (laughs) because there's something within Kerry that tells her that the world is not as it should be. And that's why, famously, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. You know, people who know that they're spiritually bankrupt are in a position to be in God's presence because forgiveness is on offer. And people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, when they look at the world and they have a deep, deep groan within because they know that the world's not as it should be, will be filled because they'll be in a position to experience God's mercy. And so the priest would represent broken, sinful people before the justice and holiness of God. But this job was not just for anybody. It was for a select few. And so Hebrews 5.4 says no one takes this honor of being a priest on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So in Israel, one family, one tribe, the tribe of Levi, was chosen by God to be God's priests. And there were rules about priests. Weren't there some rules? There were rules about all of it. The clothes that the priest wore, the detailed blueprints of the tabernacle, which are explained at length. And then the actual design and building and furnishing of it explained at length and all the symbolism and all the sacrifices and all the feasts and all the festivals, the particular timing of those feasts and the particular timing of the festivals. And all of that seems very obscure to us. But these details were designed to teach God's people that it was no small thing to come into the presence of the one true God. And people need to do it on his terms. And the one true God who is the source of of life is good, but he's also dangerous. He's kind of like the sun. The sun's good. It's the source of all life on earth. But if you get too close, you're going to burn. And so it's not at all surprising that Jesus caused quite the commotion in Mark chapter 2 when he forgave a paralyzed man's sins. Who does this guy think he is? He was acting like a priest, but he wasn't one. He could never be one. He was from the wrong family. Jesus from the line of Judah, an itinerant peasant from Nazareth, broke all the rules, and then some. And so the, the right of Hebrews is right. A priest isn't self-appointed. they're appointed by God. And so it makes sense then that Jesus was appointed by God to be our priest. But then there's this mysterious character from Genesis 14 called Melchizedek. Now, the story of Melchizedek is brief. It's only a handful of verses in Genesis 14. But it is a deep and windy rabbit warren. So if you want to get into it, chat to me afterwards. um, But I'll give a brief summary here. So Abram, um, the former name for Abraham in Genesis 14... Um, finds out that his cousin Lot has been caught up in a local war between various kings with unpronounceable names. And Lot gets taken away as part of the winning king's loot. And on hearing this, Abram gets together 318 trained men. That's a specific number, isn't it? 318. And this group of 318 defeated a much larger army at night, left with all the plunder, including Lot, And then afterwards, Abram is met by one of the kings defeated in an earlier battle and this other mysterious guy called Melchizedek. And it's weird. First of all, he's got a weird name. Second of all, he's called a priest of the Most High God. That's Abram's God. So this just leaves a million questions. How on earth did did this guy know and worship Yahweh? How did he become a priest of the Most High before Israel was even a nation? Abram didn't have any kids at this point. He hadn't even had his name change yet. It's before the Exodus, it's before Mount Sinai, it's before the tabernacle, it's before everything. It's so strange. There's a couple of fun facts about Melchizedek. He's the king of a place called Salem, which is an ancient name for Jerusalem. That's a fun fact. You can bring that up at the dinner table this week if you want. Um, weirdly Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth of his newfound plunder which matches what was to be given to the priests later on when the priesthood is established and then we never hear from him again that's it there's a reference to him in the Psalms and there's quite a few in Hebrews and that's it as I said this Melchizedek character is is a deep rabbit warren but here's the key point we don't know where he came from We don't know what happened to him. And so in a sense, he was a priest forever. And we know that the Old Testament is like a whopping big arrow pointing forward to Jesus. And Melchizedek is like a sign saying, perpetual priest wanted, apply within. (laughs) And that's Jesus. And we know that Jesus is greater than Aaron and the old priesthood. And we know that he's our priest forever, just kind of like Melchizedek was. And so here's a handy table um, to summarize um, how Jesus is greater. So the old priesthood was according to ancestry. You had to be born in the right family, um, and it was according to who you were related to. Whereas Jesus is our priest, and our priest forever on the basis of an indust- indestructible life. The old priests uh, set aside, uh, the old priesthood was set aside because it was weak and it was useless. The sacrifices had to be repeated. The priests kept on dying. The priests kept on having to offer sacrifices for their own sins because they were human beings and sinful, just like us. But Jesus is a better hope by which we draw near to God. The old priesthood became priests without any oath, but God said um, the Father to Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. The old priests died, Jesus lives forever. The old priests needed to offer sacrifices for their own sin and then the sins of the people. But Jesus is one who is blameless, pure, set apart from sinners exalted above the heavens, and he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. When he died, the curtain was torn in two because the barrier was gone and we can go into the most holy place with confidence because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And so we do have this this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. But why is it firm and why is it secure? and Why is it an anchor in difficult times? It's because it, that is Jesus, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We can enter because of Jesus. He's entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We need a priest because we're broken. We need a go-between because we can't have any hope of living in relationship with the Holy God without him. And so under the claim that Jesus is our high priest is this uncomfortable truth that we are fundamentally broken. We need a go-between, one who's familiar, familiar with our frailty, but not one who fails the test like we do. We need the ultimate go-between. We need the ultimate priest. But not only that, the ultimate Lamb of God who sacrificed himself so that we can confidently walk in and stay in God's presence. Jesus is the priest Jesus is the sacrifice, Jesus is the temple, he's all of those things, and he is greater. And so Jesus is our perpetual priest. He's superior to the old priest because he's not morally compromised. And he's superior to the old priest because he lives forever and he's alive now. He's superior because he's the sacrifice that doesn't need repeating. He's the one true God who became a man who showed us the way, who died in our place as the forerunner and rose again in victory. So I guess my encouragement um, for you today is to hold on to those two truths. Come to God in confidence because of Jesus with your brokenness. Be real and open and honest with him that you don't measure up. But at the same time, the more we confess, the more we're honest with ourselves, with one another and with God, the more we'll experience his amazing grace and his amazing mercy and his amazing provision. So if you're sitting there today feeling like you need to do business with God, then don't leave without having done that. But remember that Jesus is the ultimate go-between, our true, loving, perfect priest who intercedes on our behalf. Let's pray. Our dear Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the great priest, the one who bridges the gap. And thank you that you paid the price that we could never pay. We also thank you for the richness of God's word, all the truth that's in it, all the hidden gems that are there. And as we continue to read it and wrestle with it, please, by your spirit and in our community, please transform us so that we can live in your freedom, and walk in your grace. Amen.